the Jen whole Blanchette. world. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. I'm Hi. like waving. It doesn't matter. You can't see it, the wave. It really doesn't. They can't see you. But for anybody who's listening, Jen is uh, joining me from Sudbury, Ontario, Canada. Woo! And that is actually my hometown. I'm actually from Chelmsford. 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 So, um, <laughs> Uh, and Jen, like myself, is uh, Franco-Ontarian, so uh, bilingue, français-anglais, as we would say, but we're going to proceed in English, since this is an English show. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry if I do speak French throughout. I'll, I'll, I promise to translate. Like, or I'll translate and, and I may not be accurate. <laughs> um, so Jen is here because she is or has been a science communicator with Science North, yeah. which is like the science capital of, I'd like to say Canada, but really of Northern Ontario. Yeah. We, can't, um, we can't dismiss that there are other science centers. I do not want, it's not a competition. <laughs> but yes, um, in my opinion, the blue coats are the best. I can say that because I, I truly believe it, but yeah. <laughs> we actually, yeah. for people who are listening, you know, in Arizona or Germany, for example, they have no idea what Science North is. So um, how would you describe it? Uh, an amazing place. Okay, well, that like everyone says that about their museum, I guess. Well, so Science North is a science museum, and I hate using the word museum because usually when we think about museums, we think like um, I walk in, I look at things, and that's it. What Science North? What's really interesting is there's a lot, a lot of hands-on components to it. Yes, there are parts where you read, but we try to make sure that it's very minimal, right? Like that the reading is because a lot of times when you're learning science, you learn better from hand hands-on learning, right? We all remember as students learning science through high school and stuff, you remember those classes where your teacher is like exploding stuff for you, right? You may not remember exactly what they were lighting on fire, but you do remember that experiment or that feeling, that um, emotion happening while you're kind of doing that. The other thing that's really great about Science North is that they have what we call blue coats. Now, I'm not just talking about like people wearing a blue coat and not the history type blue coat type thing, but um, it's a bunch of uh, people who are passionate of science or, or about science that can walk around and you can ask them questions and they show you demonstrations and they can talk to you about anything under the sun and I, I or even above the sun. Like So it's a bunch of knowledgeable people, some people with their PhDs, their doctorates, their master's degrees in um, engineering to uh, computer sciences, to uh, chemistry, to biophysics, to like name it. There's somebody in the science center that um, has studied it. So it's really kind of interesting. And there's also people, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, that are, are passionate about science, like myself, who don't necessarily have a degree in it, but like a, a paper degree, but could have a degree because of everything they've researched and everything that they've been doing, right? So yeah, so that's yeah. Science North in a nutshell. Um, there's also animals. So like, we, we can't forget about our beautiful, like, um, now I'm going to forget the word because it's me, you know, um, our ambassadors, our animal ambassadors at Science North that are also a huge part of the Science Center. So we get to talk about Canadian animals, right? So if you come here and you're like, I've never seen a beaver before, or I've never seen a porcupine before, you can actually come and visit these animals. Like it's really, really interesting. That's a really kind of exceptional part of Science North in comparison to some other museums or science centers. 
Yeah. yeah, I was really privileged to have grown up in Chelmsford because we would take the bus every year as a school trip to Science North and we would, you know, visit all the different floors. And what's unique about Science North is that there is a cave, an adjacent cave, where you walk through the earth pretty much, you know. It's really, really different. It's very unique. Um, and I mean, I'm really curious. You mentioned the animals, and I remember very vividly Ralph. I think it was Ralph the beaver at the time. Uh, Ralph was the porcupine. Oh, porcupine! Yeah. That's right. And yeah. then there were flying squirrels. Do they yes. still do the squirrels? Yeah, yeah. There's still the flying squirrels, so you get to learn about the patagium, so the the skin that's like uh, helps them glide, and why they're called flying squirrels, but they should be called gliding squirrels. Like you learn. Um, you learn so much without even realizing, like I didn't even work when I was at science North, I didn't even work on the animal floor. And I know all this stuff one, because I am nosy, <laughs> but also like you just end up picking up all this information just if you ask the right questions. And I think that's kind of a really fun thing about science North is because you can stop and ask anybody questions and they'll find the right person to answer that question for you. So you get that direct impact of well, science really. Yeah. Yeah, that's what's really unique. And that's why I really wanted to talk about Science North for a few minutes here, because I visited all sorts of science centers. Wherever I travel, I try to hit up the science museums or the science centers. I remember going to the one in Montreal. There's a science center in the old port. And there was literally nobody there. There was yeah. like computers and various structures and, and whatever sciencey things, but there was nobody there to actually talk to. So that's a very unique offering. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. Like it's super, um, even for myself as somebody who worked at Science North as a science communicator, it was really, really fun to be able to walk up to somebody with questions that I had or questions that I didn't understand. Like if you're researching, sometimes it's like really awesome to be able to talk to somebody and go, Hey, what do you think about this? Or, or is this how I'm reading it? Is this correct? And being able to actually go to somebody and, and have a contact with a an actual scientist or somebody who has learned science like it was it's exceptional or questions about like hey why is that animal doing that or why is like um why do you say that for example men can jump higher than women or why is it that like you're talking about center of gravity but like why are we not talking about center of mass or like all of this stuff is is accessible and to me that's like the most exciting thing about science north and i i think that's what kind of um pushed my interest and not that i didn't have interest before but pushed that interest in science is to understand that my way of seeing science is accepted right like so my way of understanding that science isn't just for a select few who have gone to school but is is accessible to everyone like everyone can have this everyone can learn this and if trust me if i can learn it anyone can <laughs> um, well, and this is what's really unique here. Okay, let's get into your background because um, I'm really hoping that a lot of science communicators are going to listen to this episode. And the thing that's very unique about you is that you have a theater background. Yes. And actually, this is how I learned about you. I think <laughs> I, I first heard about you through a play that I went to see um, with Miriam Cusson and Sandrine yeah. Lacan and a whole bunch of people that, you know, I already knew in Ottawa and Montreal. So, um, yeah. How did you go from being a theater artist into science <laughs> communication? How did, tell me about that story. Okay, so one Monday afternoon, it was bright and sunny. Could you imagine if that's actually how it started? Uh, so 
really, it stems from like, even when I was younger, like I remember being a kid and begging my parents, this is how it started in my brain. It's like way before even being an actor or, or stage manager or that I remember being a kid and begging my parents for those um, glow in the dark stars like those. Oh my God, me too. Right. Okay. So, and I remember sitting there and spending weeks trying to figure out how to place them correctly and the measurements on how to place them like on my ceiling so that they look like the, um, the, um, the constellations. Thank you. The constellations, right? Like, and just being so like, and my sister, my sister, when she, and if she listens to this, my sister was so obsessed with Backstreet Boys. And on her side, she had the Backstreet Boys posters. And on my side, I had these stars that were so like, as an adult looking back on it, I'm like, they were so not placed correctly, but, um, which that's one thing I learned at Science North, but, um, yeah, just, starting there having this idea that one day I could go to the moon like one day the possibility of me making it there it could like that could happen so I I read everything that I could possibly read about um the stars and the planets and how they are aligned and and how long it would take me to get to the moon and how long so on and so forth. And then like getting older, I started realizing that I just, I happen to be a person that has this, like, um, though I'm, I'm an introvert, like I really love my books and my, like, like closing myself down and having like the blinders on, I do have an extroverted energy. So I do have a way of explaining things to people and for them to understand. So I thought that the best place for me would be to go into acting and becoming an actor. And then I got to university after applying and doing um, uh, auditions and things like that, got it to, into Laurentian university for their theater program, um, all d'expression, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but going there and then realizing that I really loved the backstage part of everything. So the organizing, the data entry, like all of that kind of fun stuff, budgeting and all of that. And then I graduated from that program, uh, worked in film and television. So as you can tell, I'm a person that has always wanted to learn something new. Like, not that I've ever not been able to hold a job, but I wanted to know more. I keep wanting to know more. Like, what would it be like to work at a Tim Hortons? What would it be like to work um, at a bus depot? What is it? What would it like? Keep learning things to keep myself challenged. So I always loved research, always loved learning, always loved um, understanding the way the world works around me, right? Like understanding all of that. So then I went to school to be a um, teacher. So did that. And then I applied to work at Science North because there was a job opening in the Discovery Theater. So the Discovery Theater, for those who don't know, at Science North, it's a kind of a really fun um, area in the Science Center. It's actually considered and I consider it because I mean I'm self-centered but it's the heart of the science center it's the place where you get to light things on fire you get to uh, blow things up legit Um, and I got to start doing those presentations and doing all the research to explain in I don't want to say layman's term because a lot of times when we say that we we think of it as dumbed down but it's not dumbed down is just more accessible for your audience because your audience could be anywhere from um, kindergarten to, well, adulthood, right? Like, so I like 70, 80 years old, and you're trying to teach them in a way that doesn't make anybody feel like you're saying, hey, well, you don't know this, right? Um, so that's how I, like my progress, like it, it always made 
sense in a way, but um, as John Turner would say, which you know John Turner as well, mm -hmm. would say it's a gift from the gods. Like things seem to have just fallen into place and I learned so much about myself and the things that I enjoyed by going through this progress and knowing that for me, one of the important things is learning how to teach science so that kids don't think that they can't do it. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah, that's really interesting. Now, and again, just to be clear for everybody, you don't have a PhD in science. You don't even have a degree in science. You literally took on a job. Um, you are a qualified teacher, but you literally took on a job to teach science to the general public. And in a way that is almost controversial Yes, yeah. for the science communication um, industry, let's call it. Uh, have you gotten any flack from scientists? Yes. You guys can't see it right now, but I am nodding my head even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I did. Um, but I'm a pretty vocal person um, when it comes to um, biases in that sense, right? Like, um, but yeah, I got people telling me, well, you know, maybe, maybe you should get your supervisor to look over that script because, you know, you don't have a science background or, you know, you're not going to get anywhere with this because you don't have a science background. And I kept going, well, what is a science background? Like, um, and there, one of my coworkers actually kind of said it in a, in a really great way. He said, well, he has his master's in, oh my gosh, Tyler, if you're listening to this, I apologize, but he has his, um, master's in, astro something with the stars okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and um and he explained it like this he said if everyone was a scientist so imagine for a moment and this is it, um, this is not like um to negate anything this is not to say that this isn't okay but everyone in science specializes in something right because there's so much out there that you don't have a choice but to pick or choose kind of your specialized area everyone is specializing he says if everyone does that then no one understands each other and I'm like what do you mean what do you mean but he says so think of it this way he says you need people that aren't specialized in it to go okay wait hold up a second what are you saying what is what is the importance of the message that you're giving me like just simple things right like I remember talking about, um, well, um, static electricity and trying to understand better because I didn't realize to me static electricity was something that we all understand because we all, well, have felt it at some point in time. But then understanding that there's more to it than that, that the electrons and the protons and the neutrons and, and if you have an isolator and if you like all of this other stuff. And I'm like, hey, hold on, Tyler, like, hold on. Like, what are you trying to get me to understand? He's like, well, there's positive and negative. And when they meet, they like, I was like, oh, okay, there, that's what we need. Like, that's, that's kind of the point of it. Right. So like a lot of times I would get people telling me like, oh, are you sure that's what it is? And I'm like, yeah, I'm hundred percent sure. Like I remember a conversation with my supervisor and we're sitting there and I was explaining to her that as you age, this is, um, we were doing hearing tests. We were talking about sound vibrations and how as an adult, like, so between certain ages, you hear really well. And then you get older at around, I can't remember if it was 32 now or 34, but there's a certain age where you're ears start actually deteriorating. So your ears can no longer hear what they used to hear when you were younger. And she turns to me and she says, that's not true. And I go, yeah, it is. And she says, and she's a person that has degrees in, in other things. Right. So, and she, and I'm like, yeah, no, search it up. I totally, I, she went and looked it up and I was right. And she's like, I'm so sorry. But like, 
a lot of times people don't seem to think that just because you don't have that paper doesn't mean that you can't have a passion for the science, like learning all this stuff and, and understanding um, the importance of reading proper documents or reading um, documents that like people aren't faking, right? So all the scientific journals and understanding what they're saying in there does take a kind of, in my opinion, a creative person to understand it, to bring it to the public's eye. And that's where the science communication comes in handy, right? Is, is, I, I am your general public. So for me to be able to bring it through my brain and shoot it out in a creative fashion is more useful than somebody who has a, maybe not always more useful, like I feel like <laughs> stipulation at the bottom of the screen, you know, but like in, a, in cases like at Science North, right? Like, or, or explaining science even in the classroom is just teaching like, okay, but this is this is what he's saying and not using these big words that mean or and are important and if you are studying that 100% important but when you're teaching it to general public it's not you're putting it in my head and it's going out like that right like so i i find that that to me as, as an artist, as somebody, like, that's what we do, right? Like when I'm writing a play, when I'm acting in a play, my, my whole purpose is to be able to give the message, message to my audience. So for me, having a background in science isn't a necessary for teaching science and for passing science along. Like, um, I also think that like if you see me in person and maybe in my pictures, you can see that too, but um, I am a person who enjoys dyeing my hair all fun colors. And I find that that's another way to make science accessible. Like I remember thinking or getting a comment on one of my videos that I do with science North and them saying, wow, you've made science accept or not acceptable, but um, accessible because of the way that you look, because a lot of times we assume that scientists, we all have the image of Albert Einstein, right? Like we all think like, oh, it's an old man with glasses and a beard. Like that's, that's a scientist, like, okay. And then there's people, well, like yourself and, and me who come along who have either no hair or some hair or colored hair or like piercings and tattoos. And we come in and we're like, yo man, check out the science. Like, did you know that methane can do this? Like, right? Like there's that 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 joy in it that that oh right like if that chick can do it i can too absolutely a hundred percent on that and you know i just want to touch on something that you just said which is you know the the what happens sometimes, and this actually happened to me during an interview with a marine biologist, and we laughed about it afterwards, but at one point she said, uh, you know we were talking about sea sponges. Right, yeah. And at one point she said something like, oh, yeah, and, you know, and a, sp and, and a sponge is an animal and blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, well, hold up. What do you mean? <laughs> hold up. Yeah. A sponge is an animal? And, 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 and then it clicked. It dawned on her that I didn't know that. Right. Yeah. Like, and you know? it's, and it's silly things. So like with Science North, I was able to do uh gen learn stuff and that, like my all time favorite thing that I got to do with science, science North, where I got to ask questions. And that's one of my first questions was along the same lines as that is I had been reading a book, um, turtles all the way down by John green, uh, John green or Hank green, one of the green brothers. And 
in it, he talks about the two main characters are sitting and looking at the stars and the one character is telling the other that, well, you know, what's really interesting is when we're looking at the constellations to understand that the stars aren't next to each other. Okay. And I was like, hold up, wait a minute. And I had to reread that paragraph because I was like, wait a second, because my whole life, and this is even like when I was a kid putting the stickers on my ceiling, a constellation, because we were always taught in school that they're like connect the dots. So when we think about connect the dots, we think about them on a page, right? Like, and you're connecting one to one. So it's on a like flat surface, like a, not even a two dimensional, like one dimensional, like you're like, bleep, bleep, and then you're adding them together to realize and, and like it still blows my mind that the stars in a constellation can be further apart than the first star in the constellation and earth so like that's what massive. like that's huge how do we add that together <laughs> and say yeah that's a picture like and it was just insane in my brain and talking with the person so tyler who who did that video with me like that episode was just like you didn't know that and i was like no like <laughs> no idea <laughs> and i mean i go out and i look at the stars and i can tell you about the aurora borealis and i can talk to you about all of this fun stuff but to i didn't know <laughs> like you bring up a very a very good point and this is something that you and I can both personally and professionally relate to which is that we are not academics going into science communication we are artists going into science communication and so now I'm really curious because I've got both feet in the, in the science communication world you know I've been to science communication conferences I've also experienced the pushback from yeah. academics. So I know what it's like to be told you shouldn't be doing this unless you have a PhD. Yeah. Um, that being said, do you think that the science community should be exploring more relationships with artists? Yes, 100%. I didn't even have to wait to answer that. Did you see that? How quickly I answered yep. that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember being in university and this is like, and I, I'm I'm sure a lot of my colleagues who I've worked with in the past years remember this too, or like people that were in my class, but I remember learning about think tanks. And I remember learning about how you would put a whole bunch of people um, together that don't necessarily have the same backgrounds, right? You put them together in a room and you get them to resolve a problem. And like nine times out of 10, what happens in the think tank is, is the artist in the room is the one that finds the answer. And the reason being is because that person has been trained to think outside the box, right? So in science, what, which is totally understandable is that there's protocols to follow. Like, so when you're doing experiments and things like that, right, you can't just, I have to put on my PPE, I have to make sure that I'm not adding my personal bacteria to whatever growth I am trying to grow or like in my Petri dish or things like that. And, you know, no one's allowed to eat the agar and like stuff like that. So you, you understand that there's a train, like a way of thinking, like it's a, it's a process. It's a, and you've been learning it from university all the way to wherever you are now. Right. Like, whereas an artist, the way that we perceive the world is like, it's a tidbit. We are like, our, our world is not just one linear line. Our world is kind of more chaotic. So when you give me 30 things and you're like, find the common denominator in all this, find, find what's similar. I can go and say, this is what it is. And that's our, like, that's our resolve because my brain is working on making that comparison or making that link between 
what you're saying, what's being said over here and how it can work together in the real world. Right. Like, so, cause artists get, um, we read so much. We we try to feed ourselves the knowledge that we may not necessarily have because we've gone to school. We try to feed ourselves with everything because we can't just be a one trick pony, right? As an actor, if you're an actor that hasn't um, studied who your character is, then you're not a real actor. <laughs> like, like, and sorry to actors out there who don't do that, but it's true. Like, if you are playing a lawyer and you're you don't know like what lawyers do you, you got a problem so it's the same thing in think tanks and stuff right like I have done that research and I'm listening to you say this and like I'm processing it differently because I don't have that linear thought process I don't have that a plus b equals c to me I can go to a to z to y because I don't have a reason for not doing that so I'm going to right yeah, yeah. And, you know, and, and we're not the only ones. I mean, there's Ariel Wadman, who is, a you know, um, a grad school art student who now, like, I think works for NASA or, or she's like just a big name in the science communication in, in, industry. Um, so I know that, you know, there, there are now grad programs in science communication. Uh, Laurentian University, I think, is one of them. I think they have a master's of SciComm. Yeah. Um, I don't know what their criteria criteria are. I don't know if they if you have to have a science degree to get in. I have no idea. But I am curious to know if, you know, I'm starting to really wonder again along these lines. Should um, masters or sorry, should psychom is the short term, by the way, guys, <laughs> communication. But should those grad programs be recruiting from? art schools and from arts programs as much as they are from science programs? I believe so. I believe so. Um, I do think that if, mind you, like, it, this is tough because on the same token, like, we are a special breed as artists too, right? Like, some artists aren't interested in all of this stuff, and that's completely fine, um, or interested in teaching the science, but just learning it enough to get that role or to get that that character down right, you know? And that's totally fine. But yeah, I do think that um, an interview process might be worth it, you know, instead of just going and seeing your credentials. But I, I believe that with any other employment, to be quite frank, I don't think that what you write down on paper is necessarily a testament to who you are and what you've done, you know, like, ah, it's so hard. It's so hard. But I do think I, um, I know that I have contemplated even going into the science communication program at Laurentian because it partners with science North as well. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. Um, yeah. So I agree. And, and I'm also like on the other side of the fence at the same time, because yeah, it, it could potentially be hard for certain people who don't like to read journals, like, you know? I yeah, don't... I guess it depends, too, on the focus of the program. You know, yeah. I know that there are a lot of science communication programs right now. And, and this is a comment that or, or a conversation I've had with people in the community um, who have said, you know, Julie, like, I know you have high expectations of us, but we're only at the really at the point of being able to communicate with each other yeah. as scientists. We're not even we're not even there yet in terms of how to market our our research, how to market the communications, how to get on YouTube. Um, as you know, I'm a Twitch streamer and I do science on Twitch. And at, when I first started, Jen, there were like maybe four or five of us. And now there's probably at least 300. Oh, yeah. 
So it is I, growing. I watch. I watch. <laughs> it is like the coolest thing. Well, yeah. You know, like tardigrades. Okay, stop. Like, shit. Yeah, I, it's a lot of fun. But yeah, I mean, you have experience with this too, with this yeah. whole gen learn stuff. Oh, I love Let's it. talk about that for a minute because that is... Um, I, I almost wish I could do the marketing for for that show just because it is so good and I want wow. to work yeah. there. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll talk later. <laughs> My people will call your people. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, but it's so good. I mean, yeah. um, and so who came up with that idea and who writes it? Uh Okay, so me and me, but I can't take full credit. Okay, so here's how it happened. It was kind of a funny situation. We were sitting at a table. We were shooting out ideas for things. And because I'm a ridiculous person and I think that everything should be a comedic act, um, I turned and I said, huh, why don't we do a show called Jen Learn Stuff where I go around and learn stuff? Ha ha Thinking that <laughs> I was funny. And one of the people from the marketing team at Science North was like writing it down. And I was like, okay, hold on a second. And then somebody else was like, oh, well, it should be called Jen Learn Science. And then I was like, well, no, like, if this is going to be a thing, I can't call it Jen Learn Science. And I'm sure other people in the science community understand this. Like, I can't call it that. And the reason being is because the minute that you call anything science for anybody that isn't interested in science, that's it. That's done. It's too, it's too tough for them. It's like when you yell out, I love math. About 90 people in the room are going to be like, mm, I'm out. Like, so the same reason, like, I, I was like, I can't use that word, unfortunately. Like, I really want to. But it also opens up a lot lot of doors like it opens up to show you that everything in my opinion is science like the way you throw a ball can be science the way uh, the ball mushes the like all of this is science so you can always bring it back to science um but yeah so i made a stupid joke and my colleague renata um was like yeah we gotta do that who renata is one a student from the science program the science oh. communication program she's from brazil originally uh came here for that and is now working at science north so her and I work on that and I write up the script I get her to check it over just to make sure that um one she understands it and I understand what I'm saying and we make sure that the science is correct in it together that way but I definitely do a lot of the research and then she does all the production side of it so um the filming the making sure that I sound okay because I do have an extremely loud voice <laughs> so like microphones and things like that and making sure the person I'm talking with so I contact people to say like hey would you want to like mess around with me um, and teach me this subject. So I write the whole script, pass it on to the person that I'm talking with so that they can see what we're talking about. Because as um, working at Science North, one of the issues was no one has a lot of time because there's a lot of stuff that has to be done and your public is your more important thing. So like you can't film during work hours. And anyway, long story short, uh, we write the scripts. The person comes in. We take maybe two, three hours to film. She does all the editing, and then it's up on our social medias of Science North. Yeah, so a, a lot of work, um, but a lot of fun work. Like, I have learned so much stuff, and the greatest part, I think, to me about it is 
being able to tell adults that they can ask questions. Like, Mm. um, I think at a certain age, people forget that just because you're like in your late thirties or even your early thirties, that you have to stop asking questions like that. You have to get your kids to ask the questions because like, because you don't want to seem like you don't know stuff. So I think a lot of times what happens is they see me asking questions and they become less afraid of asking those questions. And like, a lot of the questions I ask are ridiculous. Like, um, I can't even remember half of them. Like, uh, oh, your allergy one, you know, right? the, the seasonal allergy one. You're like, what's a seasonal allergy? <laughs> right? Like, and I know because I suffer from it. So like, you know, uh, which is funny in that one. Cause I say that I, do I say that I do? Yeah, I do. And my siblings don't, but like we all do. Like, so there's like, sometimes you're just creating a story so that you get your message across too. Right. But like so much fun, so much ridiculousness and so much like, um, I loved filming, filming the magnet one, like where we're like out front science North. And, um, that one was hilarious. Cause at one point in time, Renata, the, the camera person. So like my colleague, uh, is like trying to get this really awesome shot. And I'm like, and then I scream because she looks like she's about to fall off a cliff there. And we're like, just the ridiculousness of it all. And then enjoying, um, because Renata's background isn't in like, I don't want to say general science because she has a really amazing background in, I can't even pronounce the science. I'm, I apologize, but she knows how animals run. (laughs) So um, for her to learn as well with me is so much fun. Like, um, and coming from like, unfortunately due to the pandemic and stuff, we were supposed to do an episode on why the leaves change color. We were supposed to also do an episode on snowflakes. Cause these are things that for her, she was like, when she came to Canada, like, this is so weird. This is so, um, yes, colors change, but not like this, like not, not in, and me on the other hand is like, I've only ever lived in Canada. So to not understand how she didn't understand that this happened and not to understand. Cause I'm like in other countries leaves change Renata. Like she's like, no, but not like this. And then learning about all of um, the different chemicals that are in trees that make them change that color and how in different areas it changed difference because of the temperatures. Right. So like, it's really interesting to go through all of this with another colleague who does have a background in science, but still doesn't know everything. Right. Like, so there's kind of that, that joy of being able to, as somebody who doesn't have a science background and being like, Hey, Renata, did you know that iron filings like, and what you can do with them? And she's like, what? I mean, essentially you're just, you're, you're getting paid to nerd out. Oh my gosh. And right. (laughs) Sorry. That was really loud. And I could tell, (laughs) but like, that's the the best part. Yeah. It's totally to me, the best part of Jen learn stuff is the fact that like, I, I, I get paid yes to do my job, but like, hold on, you're telling me that my job is to learn stuff? Like, mm-hmm. and my job is to, to, to teach other people to, to learn stuff? Hold on, wait a minute. Like, and you're telling me that I can light things on fire at the same time? <laughs> like, this is so crazy. This is so like... But I mean, it's, um, it's like somebody who works on Mythbusters, you know, or like all those cool TV shows. And I, I, I'm just curious, like if, if somebody like Netflix came to you and said, hey, would you like to host a science show? Would you say yes? Yeah. So Netflix, if you're out there, yes. No, 100%. <laughs> um, I... Yeah. And I do think it's wonderful. Like, I I mean, now 
what's interesting is that platform TikTok. I'm not sure if you know mm-hmm. it, <laughs> right? And or following is that on there, right? Yeah. So following all the science community on TikTok and seeing the wonderful science communication that's happening there. Whereas, like I remember talking about this at Science North, and 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 there's still that kind of. Um, I don't want to call it a backlash, but that uh, reticence, like like that holding back of like, oh, we shouldn't go on that platform. We shouldn't go on that platform and going, but why isn't our mandate as science communicators to teach the science on any way possible? Like, is that not what we're supposed to be doing and not quite understand? I mean, I understand there's like other social implications and things like that, like putting yourself out there, but on the same token, that's what's in with the teenagers. And, and I'm sure that other scientists out there and other science communicators know that like, that's your group that just doesn't want to do anything. Like, so to get them, watching them as a teacher now doing TikToks during like their lunch period and stuff like that in the weird whatever dances and watching them do that, that type of stuff, I go like, well, couldn't we use that to also, I don't know, make a tardigrade do a TikTok dance. Like, I know that that's not possible because you can't like force their legs into stuff, but like, but you know what I mean? Like animate them. You could animate them. I mean, you're right. The the point you're trying to make here is that, you know, we should be using channels that are accessible to the, especially to the audience. That's one of the things, and I don't know if you agree or disagree with me, but I find that one of the ways that science communication could improve is in audience targeting. Yep. Yeah. And it's, and it's difficult. Like, um, it's difficult. I find now because a lot of times people, when you're asking them for information, they think that you're asking it for like, I'm going to send you ads, which I guess they're not technically wrong, but like for myself, like I wish I could have a better interaction with Jen Learn stuff, you know, like I wish that I could have a way to communicate with them and like, I don't know if it's one of those, like, like what we're doing now, like having a moment where we just sit down and chat with some random people who have questions and I go, Oh yeah, that's a cool question. And I'm going to, I'll find somebody, I'll find somebody, you know, like, um, mostly because I like I mean, to learn really go on Twitch. Right. Yeah. And, and this is why I've been spreading the word around to people uh, who have been wanting to do science communication. I'm like, yo, join Twitch. It's great because you get to reach the five-year-old and the 85-year-old yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And right now with the pandemic too, right? Like that's the other thing is I go like Science North does have a really amazing platform in the sense that like, um, so right now Science North is doing a lot of online learning programs for teachers and they can um, access it through their website and stuff like that. But I'm like, imagine if Science North right now was on Twitch and we were doing live shows from the Discovery Theater and people will comment and I'm, I'm sure you and I can agree on this, but like they get, well, why don't we just record it and I'm like because you lose that if am I that that feeling of of uh disappearing after right like you you are there in the moment and it's gone after so in my mind I'm like no but that's what part of that fun of science is or part of that getting you to be intrigued about science right is the idea that when I do a show in disco you may only remember the fact that uh I lit propane on fire using soap bubbles and a torch and all this fun jazz you may only remember that part you may not remember that it's propane you may not remember that I was talking to you about gas densities you may not remember any of that but I know for a fact that the next time you see me you're going to be like oh yeah I saw that show where you did this 
And then I'm going to be able to go, oh yeah, that's a really fun experiment. Right. I, I, I still remember Jen, a show like, that I saw in that theater where the person pretended to put their hand in dry ice and they smashed it. And it was actually wieners in a glove. Yes. And I, I was, first of all, I was horrified. Then yes. I was deceived. And yeah. now I was angry at the presenter because I was like, you deceived me. Right. <laughs> it was fantastic. It was yeah. so good. How long ago was that? Do you remember? Oh, I'm 44 now. So that must be like at least maybe 30 years ago. Okay, I was okay. very young. So it just yeah. goes to show. Because we brought you know? that experiment back a couple years ago. <laughs> And it played out just as well, just as well, right? It's amazing. But it's that, and that's it. I think that's another thing that, like, just going back now to what we were saying earlier, is another idea of why creatives are kind of fun in a science center is because I am sure that the person that created that experiment wasn't just somebody going, because I can't imagine a scientist sitting there going, I really want to teach about uh, dry ice, or I want to teach about liquid nitrogen. And it's like, oh, man, let's put wieners in a glove and like, dunk it in, right? Like, I, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe I'm like, assuming and I should never assume. But like, I can only imagine that it's probably some somebody like us that's sitting back there going, let's freak them out. Like, right. I just, I can't, I can't like, well, mission accomplished, whoever right? you are. <laughs> uh, it worked. I still remember it 30 years later. So bravo. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I think, you know, as we've just said, like artists really do play a big role in the learning of science. I'm really curious because you were a blue coat, right? So you were one of those people that people could approach, um, so I'm curious to know, like, what are the most bizarre questions the public has asked you? Mm. <laughs> you have any, anything memorable to share? Um, I, uh, let me think. I mean, I get a lot of weird questions, like, but again, I am, I am one of those people that never think a question is weird until I get the answer for it. Like, you know, I, I remember somebody asking me how snails, uh, reproduce to me that what I was like, that's not a weird question until I realized that snails are hermaphroditic. So I didn't realize, and then learning about their, their, um, their process of, uh, procreating is really interesting. So if ever you get the chance, go to science North second floor and ask them that it's really kind of, uh, interesting. Um, you can't see my eyebrows right now. I'm kind of making a weird <laughs> face. Cause I'm like, it's kind of gross. But it's like those types of questions. Like, so to to say, I don't think there's questions that I've ever had that were weird. I mean, I did have somebody ask me for my phone number um, and that I was like, that's totally not scientific and I'm married. So <laughs> like, um, I don't know. Like, uh, what about uh, the differences between communicating with an adult, a child and a senior citizen? Do you use a different approach? Um, what's it like? So my biggest for myself, um, and this goes with everything that I do really is, um, no matter the audience, I will never treat them like they don't know something. Right. Um, and this is something I teach when I'm teaching new people in the discoveries theater, or when I'm teaching theater classes, or I'm teaching anything is never treat your audience like they're stupid. Like, um, and it's, and it's interesting because again, I remember working with colleagues at science North and they were like, this group didn't listen to me. And I was like, well, how are you talking to them? How are you talking to them? And they were like, well, and then doing that child voice, like, well, hello, everybody. Welcome. And I'm going to get you to sit down and all like, 
And I'm like, well, yeah, but you're talking like that. Well, they're four years old. How else are you supposed to talk to them? Well, like they're human. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, like, um, I, the, I've never had issues with it because I, I talk straight to people because to me, that's like the most important thing. So like, regardless of if they're adults or younger or, um, or older or whatever the age group is just to never treat them like they don't know something. Cause you, you never know. Like, um, I remember at one point in time making a joke. So we're up on the third floor at science North. We're looking at one of those, um, uh, City call of the bodies with all the take out parts of like the lungs and all that stuff. Okay. So yeah, yeah, the the human body kind of plasticky thing. And I'm sitting there and I'm like explaining to the gentleman, the brain, and he's listening to me and he's like, Oh yeah. So what does this do? And I'm like, and then I explained to him and then he tries to put the piece of the brain into his kind of little casing. Right. So like the, and he misses. And then I, make the joke because again, it's me and I have to make a joke. I'm like, wow, I'm glad you're not my brain surgeon. And then his wife comes and starts laughing and she's like, actually, he's a neuroscientist. And I went, eh, And then he said, yeah, he's like, you really did good. He's like, I just wanted to see if the scientists at Science North actually knew their stuff. And then I told him that actually you want to know something even better. I don't have a science degree. And he was like, that's, that's really impressive for you to know all this about the brain and like, be able to dictate it to me. Like, yeah, pretty. Do they they train you? So like, once you get the blue coat job, do they say like, okay, here's a manual? Not not really right because science north yes there is part things like you do have to do certain trainings like your your wimis your like all that fun jazz because um at least for if you're working in the discovery theater and i know a couple other areas have to do that as well so at science north what's really cool is that it's different areas different sections of the science center so when you get hired you get hired on for one particular like um center like one particular area so my home base was the discovery theater so i got to work with all the chemicals and and all of that fun stuff like so performance and and um kind of the exhilarating part i don't want to say that the other parts aren't exhilarating because they really are like i mean eyeball dissection let's just say right but then there's other areas so what happens is you kind of get trained to do the shows that you are performing or the workshops that you are performing or what's in your lab space. But then if you're like me and you're nosy and you just want to know absolutely everything that's going on everywhere, um, you go in on your days off and you kind of like take over areas. That's kind of how it does. I, I, I have a picture in my head of you crawling in through the vents on your days off and sneaking into the libraries and like the other floors. Oh my gosh. There were days like the third floor would laugh at me because like, I wanted to know absolutely everything that I possibly could about every single animal that was in there. Right. Like, um, also I'm not a fan of snakes, but since working at science North, I'm like, I, I absolutely love gray rat snakes. They're like kind of the coolest things on earth. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's going in and then understanding, like the, I find the more that you learn about them, the less you become afraid of them, right? Like, so learning, for example, the gray rat snake, learning that they eat mice and I, I absolutely like mice, they're like, right? So learning that they are my friend because they're eating the mice that I don't like made it a lot easier to be like, yeah, I'll hold that. Yeah, whatever. You know? It's funny because it's because of the, um, I guess, do you call them arachnologists? The 
spider scientists on Twitter who post a lot of videos of spiders. It's thanks to them that I'm not scared of them anymore. Right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. in, in going downstairs to the second floor and in, in, in them making me hold the... Um, oh, the tarantula? Right? And just just like... And going, oh my gosh, that one time it didn't eat me. That's perfect. <laughs> but it's again, it's like another reason why to me science communication is really important and why getting it down to, um, I'm going to call it neutral terms is, is for this specific reason. Like the more that I can tell you um, about stuff or the more that I can talk to you about um what's going on scientifically and and make it easy for you to understand makes it a lot easier. Like, so for example, like I can take today in my class, I was teaching uh, and kids were telling me about how they hate wearing their masks and why is it important? I'm I'm, going to interrupt you just here because people don't know you're a teacher. We haven't talked about that (gasps) yet. (laughs) So let's actually tell people that you, um, you are a a school teacher now. So so um, I'm teaching in high school and I'm teaching. Hi, I'm also a teacher. Yeah. So I'm teaching in high school right now during the pandemic. I've left my job at science North because there's like, um, there's a serious need in teachers. So I've decided to leave my job at science North, which um, I keep telling, I still talk with my supervisor and I tell her like, I miss you. Um, Science North was definitely my dream job. And hopefully once all of this is said and done, I will be able to go back to Science North. Like that's kind of uh, my goal. But I'm teaching right now during the pandemic because there's a serious need of teachers. And because I do have my teaching certificate, I felt like I should do this for the greater good, kind of like a call to arms. Um, But anyway, I'm teaching in my class and the students were frustrated because we have to wear masks all the time. It's a 24-7, like, well, that's what they feel like it is, but always wearing masks. And they're like, why do we have to do this? Like, why? What's the point? And then um, I'm teaching them the Swiss cheese method. And they're like, what do you mean Swiss cheese method? Have you heard about this? So because they were complaining about all of these rules and regulations and now having to wear masks and all of this stuff. And I'm like, "Okay, well, hear me out. You have to think of it like this. Okay, so Swiss cheese method. So picture right now that first your Swiss cheese has holes in it. Okay, so you're putting your first piece of Swiss cheese right first in front of you. Now you're going to breathe. If you breathe through that Swiss cheese or through that mask, there's potential for the virus to go through. Okay, so there's it's not a high percentage, but there's still a percentage, especially if you're somebody that doesn't understand that your mouth and your nose are connected. Like, so you seem to wear your mask under your nose, that that kind of person. So you add another piece of Swiss cheese. So the next piece of Swiss cheese is say the social distancing or the physical distancing. So now you have two pieces of Swiss cheese. Well, in Swiss cheese, Generally speaking, the holes do not match up. So if you're going to make the virus pass through one piece of Swiss cheese, it'll probably get caught in the second piece of Swiss cheese. So masks, social distancing, but hey, let's add another one. I'm like, at school, we have like you broken down into cohorts. So you, all the grade nines are together, all the grade tens are together, all the grade elevens are together. So that's another piece of Swiss cheese. Now, if you're on the other end of this and I happen to have the virus, the chances of the virus getting through all of those pieces of Swiss cheese are kind of null and void. So it's taking my way of understanding science and having learned, okay, well, yeah, I know that you're going to tell me that masks aren't 100% and you're going to try to trash talk all this, but 
there is a reason why we're doing it. The reason is the Swiss cheese method. There's not just masks. There's also like we have been stopping people from going into stores at a certain number so we can make sure that there's a physical distance between everyone. So like in my class today, the student went, oh, and there was this moment that I went, see, like this whole time from September up until now, this student didn't understand why we had all of these rules. And to break it down like that, where it's like, Again, not layman's terms, but it's breaking it down so that they see why we have all these rules, why we have all these pieces of Swiss cheese makes it a lot more accessible, right? Or a lot more understandable for that teenage brain who thinks they're never going to die. <laughs> right? okay, like Now I have to ask you, this talent of being able to take a complicated topic and simplify it for, the, let's say, the average person or for a child, is it innate? Is it learned? Ooh, um, I think it's both. I think it's, um, I think it's both. And, and yeah, like, uh, I remember as a kid always having to explain things. Like I remember, um, one, because my dad is French and my mom is English and we went to, like, I went to a French school. So always having to figure out what things said to be able to explain it to my mom, you know, like, so I know that for me, having to learn things to then explain them has always happened. Um, to be able to break it down, like simplify it in a, in a way or to make it a little easier to digest. Um, I'm not sure. I, I maybe, maybe I was born with it. Maybe it's Maybelline. Can I, can I say that? Like, um, sure. but I'm not sure. I, I think it because I think deep down it comes from my, my own personal, like not understanding things and going, well, if I can explain it to myself this way and it makes sense, then I can explain it to other people, right? Like, you know, when you're reading a book or you're reading something and you're like, oh, hold on a second, I'm going to write this down and I'm going to like make sure that this makes sense to myself, then okay, yeah, that is okay, perfect. We can move on. Um, but where it, I don't know. I was just curious. Uh, I figured I'd ask because I also interview <laughs> a lot of artists and actors and so I always ask them if they feel that it's the artistic talent is innate or, or learned. So I always, you know, I'm, I'm always yeah. curious about that question. Um, we just have a, a few minutes left. I'm just curious, Jen, what do you do for pleasure outside of, you know, learning, teaching science? Um, uh, I know you're a mom. So I'm just wondering, like, what, who is Jen outside of this whole kind of sphere of work what do you do for fun oh what do i so i am a baker at home which this is weird to okay like this is ridiculous i remember talking with my supervisor and her laughing when at the beginning of working at science north i would measure things in cups and she was like i'm like oh yeah so like a cup and she's like no <laughs> Uh, but understanding chemical reactions due to baking made it a lot easier. Like, so when I would explain things like these are things that people understand again, like right day-to-day -day life stuff, like I'm making cookies and I'm like, I understand what's going on when I'm putting baking soda versus baking powder. Like I understand what I have to put in there to make sure that my cookies don't taste rancid, you know, but it's, um, I think that's when, like, I, I am a huge fan of baking. I am, uh, I really love running. Um, 
which right now kind of is crummy because um, as you come from Sudbury, you probably know what the weather is like here. Yeah. So the roads are, the roads are bare, but the sidewalks are very icy. And I happen to have this innate fear of like falling and breaking a hip for some reason and lying in the sidewalk until somebody comes and saves me. <laughs> like, I don't know. So I can't, I can't run right now, but that's a lot of the, I mean, it's tough because again, a lot of my favorite things are things that I share with people during gen learn stuff and in science and things like that. Right. Like I love to read. I love to like, I, if I don't have a book in my hand, people are like, are you okay? Like, are you, are you feeling well? So yeah. Other, other than teaching science, learning science, learning about life, baking and running. Can I say that? Does that Absolutely. It sounds to me like you're just somebody who lives her passion period. Yeah. Yeah. Period. Yeah. Um, and on that note, Jen Blanchette. Merci. <laughs> Merci à toi. Uh, un grand plaisir. In other words, it's been a huge pleasure having you on the show. And um, I think at some point we should do a video version uh, <laughs> because this was actually extremely thrilling on video, guys. You guys really missed out. Uh, but oh, anyway, my Jen hand Blanchette. action, my francophone hand action. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> depressed mind but thank you for coming on the on the program thank you for having me it was so much fun let's do it again absolutely Mm -hmm.